G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. What is Mark telling us? He's telling us that spiritual darkness is a reality. And welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear the second half of The Price Paid by Jesus, the ultimate man of power who refused to use his power to save himself on the cross in order to save us. John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, if it's true that Jesus is the light of life, then how does spiritual darkness come to us? This is Today with Jeff Vines and part two of The Price Paid. Mark, in his gospel, chooses not to go this route by telling us all the details of Jesus' suffering, but instead, he has another point to make. Mark writes this. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And at the sixth hour, which is noon, Darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. And Mark makes his statement. Three hours of darkness over the world. In Mark's gospel, you see a pattern. He wants us to realize that the most devastating aspects of Jesus' life occurred in darkness. There was darkness in the garden as he prayed, Father, if this cup can pass. There was darkness at the trial, an illegal trial that should have taken place during the day, but it occurred in the darkness of night. And then in the crucifixion, darkness falls over the earth for three hours. What is Mark telling us? Listen, he's telling us that spiritual darkness is a reality. That it's possible that you can think that the trajectory of your life is moving up toward God. You're moving toward the light. But the power of the world and its vortex has sucked you back into the ways of the world. And you can honestly think, because you're a good person, because you do some good things, you can honestly think that you're in the light when in reality, you're in darkness and the darkness is great indeed. And the sad thing is this, you won't be able to see it. And when somebody confronts you with it, you'll deny it. You'll be like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. 
who really thought they were on a mission from God and on his side when in reality, they were opposing everything God was attempting to do. When I lived in New Zealand, one of the worst air disasters of the 20th century occurred in a place called Mount Erebus. It was a DC-10, Air New Zealand Airlines. November the 28th, 1979, 257 people were on board. They all died. It was an Antarctic uh, sightseeing flight. And the story is that the plane, the Air New Zealand plane, hit the mountain full throttle. That everything and every person disintegrated. There were people from Asia, from the South Pacific, from America on the plane. People wanted to know, that people of New Zealand, how could this happen where a plane flies full throttle into a mountain and everybody loses their lives? And at first, Air New Zealand came back and said it was pilot error. This led to a national outcry. And they established what would later be called the Royal Commission of Inquiry, led by Justice Peter Mayen. There were three books written about Mount Erebus. I read all three of them when I lived in New Zealand. And after you read them in the court transcripts, you discover there were two reasons for the crash. The first one is this, that changes were made to the flight plan the night before without telling the crew. So the wrong coordinates were placed in the navigation system. Second, a phenomenon called whiteout. Whiteout happens in the Antarctic when the sky and the earth are the exact same color and you can't tell where one stops and the other begins. So looking out the window will not help you to get your bearings. And even though there were warning signals to the pilot, because of the navigation system, they were convinced they were right where they ought to be until the alarm sounded that they were too close to the ground. And then the pilot gave it full throttle and smashed right into the mountain. I remember that story because what would it have been like as the crew to be absolutely convinced you were right where you ought to be and the whole time you were headed smack dab for the middle of Mount Erebus. And I remember that to remember that this disorientation always leads to disintegration. Now listen, Jesus teaches us something about the darkness. He says that the trajectory of our lives, the norm for all of us is not to be headed toward God, but away from God. And only a few find it. He says in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Spiritual darkness then is the norm and the flow of life. It's where we're headed. And Mark goes to great lengths to show us that the darkness fell on Christ so it would not have to fall on us so that we could live in the light. In John chapter one, nine, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John eight twelve. when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, if it's true that Jesus is the light of life, then how does spiritual darkness come to us? And the answer is, and please hear me on this. And you're in really bad trouble because I got a lot of energy left. So as passionate as I've been the other services, even more so now that you lose the light and you start to live in darkness. When you turn away from Christ, your true light and make something else the center of your life. So I got to ask all of you and you got to be honest, what 
is the center of your life. What are you most passionate about? What do you think about? What gets the best of you? What is at the center? Now, you've got other things that you do in life, I know, but what's the center? What is your primary passion? Is it your job? Really? Is it a person? Really? A recreation? Golf? What do you... Okay, maybe it's okay if it's that, but for everything else, (laughs) what is the center of your life? Is it pleasure? For some of you, it's you. It's called egocentrism. You are the center of your life. And it's about what you want and what you think you're entitled to. And throughout the gospel of Mark, we're at what is the center? Because if anything other than Christ is the center of your life, the Bible is clear. You're moving into darkness, even though you think you're in light. The trajectory of your life is not going toward God and the light is moving away and back into the world. What is the center? What matters most to you? What do you care most about? And the Bible says if you start to move away from the light, you're going to feel it. Let me give you a little rundown of how you'll feel it. You'll lose your sense of direction. You'll become disoriented. Because you'll think that money and stuff and all of that will meet the deepest needs of your heart. And then you'll get to be about my age. And you'll start waking up in the middle of the night finding you can't sleep, but you won't know exactly what's wrong. You'll just know that there's an emptiness in you. How do you think I know this? You'll start wondering what the meaning and purpose and significance of your life is. And let me tell you why. Because you cannot fill an eternal void with temporary means. You'll find that nothing that you're pursuing is big enough for your soul. And you can lie to yourself, but you can't fool your soul. It knows very well. And depression sets in and anxiety sets in and frustration sets in. Only Christ is the center We'll give you what you're looking for. When my little boy Delaney was about seven years old, his entire worldview could be summed up in one word, cookie. (laughs) Cookie. He couldn't do his homework. He'd just be staring at the cookies. I say, son, do your homework. You can have a cookie, dad. I have it. He's like the cookie monster. See cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. (laughs) And I was a bad father. Uh, I would bribe him with cookies. Son, clean your room, I'll give you a cookie. I could get him to do anything. (laughs) But after Delaney would eat the cookie, I'd go over and see him sitting down. He had a sad look on his face. And I'd come over and I'd say, son, so what's wrong? He'd say, dad, just wasn't worth it. And he'd look for another kind of cookie. (laughs) And that's our lives. Moving from one cookie to another cookie to another cookie. Thinking that sooner or later, the right cookie is going to hit the right spot and we'll have everything we've always wanted and it's not going to happen. You lose your sense of identity because you know what? If Christ is not the center, everybody's looking for significance. Everybody wants to live a life beyond mediocrity. So you start looking for human approval to give you what it is that your soul wants. And you know the problem with that is that means your identity becomes as fickle as the people you're trying to impress because they are. And you'll wake up one day and realize that you've lived all your life trying to please other people. You won't even know who you are. And worse, you find yourself in isolation from other people. Because you're so driven, you step on others to get what you want. You're so worried and filled with anxiety because you're afraid you're not going to get what you think you're entitled to. You start to withdraw from people because you see them as the enemy, as the competitors for the thing that you want. 
Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. This is part two of The Price Paid. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. All my life as a pastor, I've wanted to do this, but it's taken me, I guess, 27 years to do it. If anything other than Christ is the center of your life and it leads to darkness, disintegration, disorientation, then the question is this. How can I know? How can I know that the trajectory of my life is moving toward God? How can I know? See, it can't be subjective. You can't trust your emotions. No, it has to be objective. And I've put together a list. Call me David Letterman. I put together a top 10 list of questions. If you can say yes to these, not in perfection, but not in stagnation either. If you can say yes to these questions, I believe, according to the scripture, according to the book of Mark, you can say to yourself, the trajectory of my life is moving toward God. I'm not perfect. I make a lot of it, but I am moving toward God, number one. Do I live ultimately for his purposes becoming a reality in my life? Is your primary goal to be used of God to achieve what he wants to achieve in you and through you that the kingdom of Christ might be expanded? If the answer is no, then the rest of them really don't matter. Is that your ultimate goal? Not your only one, but ultimate. Number two, is my life non-segmentable? This is huge. What does that mean? It means that you are the same person at the golf club and at work as you are when you're here. That Jesus goes with you every place you go and you're not one person here and one person on the way home and one person at home with your family and another person at the club. Your life is non-segmentable. You are with Jesus and for Jesus and loudly proclaim Jesus wherever you go. Three, do I have a passion to sow greatly that I might reap greatly? God gives you so many blessings and you take those blessings, your time and your talents, and yes, your money too, all of it. And your primary passion is to say, how can I sow more into the kingdom that I might reap more? Jesus said, you can't serve both God and stuff. You'll love one or hate the other. Four, do I allow Jesus to draw the parameters in my life? Who tells you the right and wrong of your life? What is your objective authority to say, this are, these are the parameters in which you should live? Or do you take the sense, well, I'm my own person. I will determine what is right and wrong for me. Or is Jesus the Lord of your life? If he's the Lord of your life and you're trying to live within those parameters, then your life is moving up. The trajectory is up toward God, toward the things of God and away from the things of the world. Five, is there a daily pursuit of Christ in my daily living? Is there a time every day that's a non-negotiable where you spend a few moments in meditation on scripture and prayer and looking for God's guidance and wisdom? That's what a Christ follower does. And that means your relationship is growing and the trajectory of your spiritual life is moving up toward Christ. Number six, are praise and worship non-negotiables in my life? I want everybody to listen here. What does that mean? Well, it means what it says. Is it a non-negotiable in your life to be in the house of the Lord on the weekend? Yes, I know there are vacations. Yes, I know sometimes work. I know. But primarily, primarily, is it a passion? Do you wake up every weekend and you look over to your wife and say, well, do we go to church this week or not? Or is it a given that in your house, there is a non-negotiable that we will be in the house of the Lord, that we will sing praises to him. We will worship and we will listen to the word. Number seven. Have I discovered my spiritual gifts and am I using them to expand Christ's kingdom here on earth? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Or do you know what they are? 
And do you use them to expand Christ's kingdom? Eight. Can others see a great contrast developing in me? Are your friends saying this to you? Man, you're changing. You're a different person than you were five years ago, 10 years ago. I look at you and you're just different from my friends, other friends at the club or other friends at work. There's just something unique about it. There's a great contrast happening in you. If it's true, that's because the trajectory of your life is moving up toward the things of God. Nine, does Jesus get the very best of me and all I have? Self-explanatory. Ten, do I identify more with Christ in his life than the world and its way of living? Is there a part of you that feels like you don't belong here anymore? Is there a part of you that when you go to a movie that you like, that things are worshipped and that things are glorified that should not be glorified? And it kind of just ticks you off a little bit. Are there commercials you see on television or television shows that you're watching and something's glorified that you know is just so, it's the antithesis of the things of God and you kind of feel like, you know, I just don't belong here anymore. And why is it scaring me right now that the only people shaking their heads are the older people? (laughs) I can tell right now, listen, this is honest weekend. Not that other weekends aren't. But right now, you know, I I told you, I see more than you know. And when I start talking this language, I see some of you tune me out. You don't want to hear it. You don't want somebody to call you to a higher way of living. And let me tell you why you don't, because you know you're not where you ought to be. And I told you when I became the senior pastor of this church, I was not going to tell you things that would tickle your ears and make you feel good. Now, the gospel makes you feel great because it tells you that you've got a Lord and Savior who loves you and you cannot be separated from his love, but he also calls you for a commitment. And there's no such thing as a half-committed Christian. You're either all in or you're not in at all. You give it all or don't give at all. Now, those things I mentioned, you're not saved by them. Well, that's ridiculous. Saved by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. That's it. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't talking salvation here. I'm talking, is your life on a trajectory moving toward God or back toward the world? And when you're confronted, when we're confronted, we don't want to hear it. But the reality is, how do you think I came up with that list? How do you think I came up with that list? Because I know the weakness in my own life. I know where we're all missing the boat because I'm missing it too. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the trajectory of all of our lives, we're in trouble. It's moving toward disintegration. Oh, you feel totally different about me now, don't you? Things just changed in the last 30 seconds. (laughs) Thank God he made a way where the trajectory of our lives could be altered. And it's how Mark ends his gospel. Verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Now this is the end, not of your life, just of the sermon. This curtain in the temple was no flimsy little thing. It was as substantial as a wall. It was a huge, thick curtain. And you could only go in one time a year And only the most holy man could go in, the high priest, on the most holy day of the year, Yom Kippur. And when he goes into the Holy of Holies to commune with God, he must bring a sacrifice on behalf of the people, on behalf of himself. 
But when Jesus died on the cross and darkness fell, the temple curtain was ripped in two. And I guarantee you that if you were somebody in the temple when that happened, you would run for your life. Because hundreds and hundreds of years, I can't go in there. Oops. I'm in there. And you run. But everything had changed. And Mark wants to show us the first guy through. And it's a Roman soldier who looks at the cross and says, surely this was the son of God. Now, the only person a Roman soldier is going to call a son of God is the Caesar. To say this out loud would probably mean death. These centurions were rough and rugged men. They weren't aristocratic. They weren't given commissions. They were just rough and rugged men who climbed their way up in the Roman army by administering as much pain and suffering as possible. And the more pain and suffering you're willing to inflict, the higher you would climb to the ranks. These are brutal men. And all of a sudden, at the sight of Jesus and the way Jesus died, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It humbled them. The curtain was torn in two. He walked in. Surely this is the Son of God. I have a question, too, for everybody in the room then. And you've done so well. I'm proud of you. Nobody went to sleep. A couple of you got mad at me during the sermon. I can see that. A couple of you wanted to get out of here very quickly, and I know what that means, too. Have you walked through the curtain, folks? And can you remember that day? Did you walk through and say, my, my life is not where it ought to be. I, I'm not the man I should be. I'm not the woman I should be. I'm going to walk through the curtain into the Holy of Holies because Christ has made a way. And I'm going to ask for forgiveness of my sins. And I'm going to ask God to change the trajectory of my life. Can you remember the day? If you do, it's pretty special to you. The second question has the trajectory of your life changed? Come on now. Honest time. And the reason it's time to be honest is because Jesus teaches all through the book of Mark that whatever the trajectory of your life is here, it's going to be the same through eternity. <laughs> Wherever your primary passions are now, same in eternity. Whatever your goals and objectives are now, same in eternity. And if you're running toward the things of the world, you're moving away from the light. And if you're away from the light, you're away from God. And that's why hell is usually described as what? Darkness, disorientation, disintegration. But if you're moving toward the light now, then you're going to be pleased on the day when the Lord returns and he will be your God and you will be his people. And you won't need the light of the sun because he will be the light. Oh, that's good. That's real good. So where are you? And you say, Jeff, I don't know. Oh, let me help you. This is not a subjective thing. It's an objective thing. Here's how you know the trajectory of your life is moving toward God. Jesus is the most important thing in your life. And whatever he wants, you want. And if he's not the center of your life, the trajectory of your life is moving away from God, not toward him. And you can change it. You can change it by faith. You walk through the curtain and he forgives you and sends your life on an entirely different trajectory where he not only changes what you do, but he changes what you want to do. Father, thank you for the power of Mark 14 and 15. I pray in Jesus' name right now there would be the opening of eyes. I pray that the Holy Spirit would fall 
And I pray for all of us who are not where we ought to be, that repentance would come and we would make a change. Father, I pray that we would look at the cross through your eyes, for the darkness covered your son so the darkness would no longer cover us. And Father, we could make a free will decision. We could decide that we want to live in the light and that we want Christ to be the center. And although we have seasons, although we make mistakes, although we do have, we are imperfect people. Primarily, we know down deep inside whether or not Christ is our hope. Christ is our life. The hope of glory and the center of everything we say, everything we do, everything that we live for. I would pray your hand would move and life change would occur now. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Today with Jeff Fines, and that's the end of The Price Paid. If you want to hear the whole message again or to access other resources and info, head to the Vision Christian Store. That's visionstore.org.au and click on Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.